Come with me on an exploration of self-discovery. On this podcast, we decipher what really matters as we unravel the chaos of day-to-day work to learn how to build an essential life. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me, Greg McEwen, your host, for another episode of the What's Essential podcast. Uh, It really is such a pleasure to be able to speak with you, to have a conversation today. I can see you, I'm sure, as you're uh, going through what is almost certainly a day that's too busy, that almost certainly has too much in it, uh, especially at this time of year. Uh, I could see you trying to even do this podcast in the middle of other things, and uh, in, in a rare exception, I welcome that. Maybe you're on a run today, maybe you're on a walk today, maybe you're driving somewhere, or you're cleaning up and you're doing this uh, to make that otherwise chore something more of a ritual. And I don't know, maybe it sounds uh, ridiculous, but thank you. Really, really thank you for taking the time to be part of this conversation. And the conversation that I have planned for you is on a really prescient, important subject, discernment. Discernment is at the very core of what differentiates a non-essentialist from an essentialist. And by the way, I'm struggling right now as a bit of a non-essentialist because there's just so much going on, especially this time of year. And so I've invited Anna, my wife, uh, and and my uh, my most discerning thought partner, I've invited her here, one, to be able to help me and help each other to be more discerning right now, but also to be able to riff a bit on this subject that so is at the core of actually figuring out what's essential. So with that, let's get to the show. Anna, welcome to the What's Essential podcast. How are you? (laughs) Ah, I'm great and completely overwhelmed with life, but I'm good. So we come into this conversation. It's an interesting place to be having this conversation because I think that the subject of the day is as much for us as it is that anybody who's listening. And and I'm certainly coming into this conversation eager for us to work through where we are, you know, and what we can do about it because the subject of today's podcast is to discern, uh, to discern more so that we can do less in order that we can get better results whether that's as a parent, um, as a spouse, as a business leader, uh, that, that, that item of discernment, that's the theme. And it just seems like it has the power of relevancy for everybody at this time of year. People are bombarded with good things, uh, end of year challenges with their, their business or their employment. Uh, end of year celebrations, family events, commitments in the community, and and this is all just to say too much. It's too much. Are you feeling like it's too much for you? If I'm completely honest, yes, yes, you know this. I know this. Anything um, anything else would have been. 
I, I would have I would have had to say something. <laughs> if you'd said anything else, I, yeah. I would have said no. That's that's not no, so absolutely. Right. And me too. I, I am. And me too. Yes. And uh, yeah, I am trying to be careful about maintaining my mental health, which, you know, we're doing okay. I won't give myself uh, a ten out of ten. No way. But uh, but I haven't cracked. So hey, you know, keep that standard high. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I haven't uh, lost all of my mental health this week. There's something you say in effortless. Do not do more today than you can fully recover from by tomorrow. And I have not kept to that. Hmm. That's when I know I need to make a change. I need to scale back. I need to reassess. You remember that book? Uh, we've we've talked about it before. That the the body always keeps, keeps score. score, right? The body yeah. keeps score. And and the idea, I mean, of course, in that book is that is that trauma is is tracked in your body, and so that there is a physical reaction to even the mental recollection of past traumatic experiences. Well, that's maybe the main thread in the book, but not the only one. But just this idea that you can trust your body to teach you things. And that if you listen, that part of discernment is to pay attention to your body. I actually think you're really good at that. I think you're better at that than I am just to even be listening to your body. But the idea that your body can be teaching you, you know, that one of the great teachers of your life, because for a start, it's a teacher that's always with you. And the idea that it can help well, you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean... Maybe, maybe I'm better at listening to my body, but I think my body is actually kind of bossy. And um, so it makes me listen to it. <laughs> uh, I think I've got a real connection between um, how I feel about something and the effect it has on my body. That's, that is strong in me. And it may be considered, you know, a gift in some cases and it can be definitely a curse in some cases. Yes, I mean it's 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 both being it's paying attention and dis, it's discerning what does it mean that my body's having this reaction and then as you're paying more attention to that also then having a discerning attitude in the journey you take in the steps that you take you, you exactly you could take a discerning path uh, that that tilts you closer and closer to something that you really want to be doing or at least you know further away from something that is having this effect on you yeah that's the idea right there my bias about this is that people already know i don't mean that they have all the answer fully baked and i don't mean that every discernment that every Impulse, of course, is 100% correct. I don't mean that, but I do mean that there is a flow of intuition, of insight, of discernment that is available to everybody pretty much all of the time. And the question is whether they're paying attention, whether they're listening, whether they're noticing it. And so often when I'm working with somebody 
coaching them or talking through a dilemma they're faced with, my assumption is that they already know the answer to their dilemma. They already know what to do. And it's not that they're, I don't mean that they're entirely in denial, entirely lying to themselves, but that it's, they already have the answer, but then all of these other things jump on and make it more complicated or, or, or they second guess themselves and, and that sort of thing. And most of my job is just to create enough space for them to be heard and them to unravel all of those things to get back to the clarity they actually have had at some point. And I think that's an important idea for discernment. You already know. And now your job is mostly to trust what you're already discerning and not talk your way out of it. And now let's just take a moment for an hour. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. And now, back to our conversation. Yeah, and I mean, that's... That's very logical, the way that you put that, you know, not talking yourself out of it. And I think that's so true. And I have to be aware of my external factors as well. It's This is so important to me to be able to discern. It's It's a top priority for me. There's just so much going on with my family and my own life. And I want to try and be as centered as possible when I'm making decisions or, you know, having influence. I want to make sure that I'm not coming from a place that's off center and that I'm coming from a, a place of, you know, just emotion, like I'm grumpy or moody or, or fearful or I'm tired or I haven't eaten. Yep. I'm one of those people that if I don't eat, it totally affects me totally affects me. Greg, you know this, and it's kind of annoying when you ask me, 
have you eaten? Because, man, half the time, more than half the time, you're the reason you're asking is because I haven't, and you don't necessarily know that, but you know that my my mood has been affected. <laughs> it's actually a little... Right? Yes, for sure, yes. But it's a little cathartic to hear you saying this. Because Oh, yeah, because I am given the biggest eye rolls when you ask. I am. It's so annoying and, because, and because you're right. And, because, and I am not taking care of myself. And I have to admit that, that I'm not like doing the basics to be able to Center. Well, and sometimes you just deny it outright. You know, you have. You're you're better at this now. But sometimes <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't deny it. There, there's there's Anna, there's almost there's you right now, and then there's you when you're hungry. And yeah, but I don't I don't deny it. I don't say I have eaten if I haven't oh, eaten. Oh no, you never say you've eaten if you haven't, but you won't always just say, yes, the reason <laughs> the reason I'm hungry is that I am hangry right now. That's what's going on. Like that's I have to say if I did, I would be super impressed with myself. Because who wants to admit that? I don't know. Does that does that seem does that seem hard to admit? Just is that is that <laughs> Does that feel shameworthy to you? I I see nothing whatsoever bad about that. The the problem isn't being hangry. The problem. <laughs> oh, it feels so weak to me. Uh, it feels so like I am weak. I am limited. The stupid human need of food. That's where it all got mixed up and wrong. What you just said is so clear to me, because, we, we, like, it's so. It's so wrong. Oh, I'm hungry. It's just food. It's just food. <laughs> you know, we come into this world hungry, starving and alone. And our lives are constantly about trying to resolve those two problems. I mean, of course it's okay to be hungry. Of course it's okay to trust that the biology in your body could be different to somebody else's or that you're more in touch with what's going on than somebody else's with their body, that you're not being weak, you're just being highly aware, you're being sensitive to what is. I don't I never think it's weak. From maybe or my body's just really bossy. Well, but said- I think I think we're revealing two issues with discernment here. <laughs> because when I don't eat, that affects my discernment. But I obviously Definitely. lack some discernment about this whole issue in general. If I could solve one thing for you, it would be this. No. <laughs> yeah, I I this is when, whenever I make you food, which I obviously don't do enough, uh but you always respond really well to that, you know, as long as I've as long as it's something that's like healthy enough that 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 uh, that you welcome it. Uh but but this I know. Can you believe I get I I get cranky about what you bring me i mean how off is that right <laughs> it's just it's just part of the hangry like how can you be bringing me cornflakes that is not going to help me yeah I- that did <laughs> that did reduce um you know, n- nobody's impressed anymore that i bring food if if what i'm bringing is if what I'm bringing I'm is- that is so it is so sweet it is such a sweet gesture <laughs> you would get me some cornflakes but I'm in such a place of hangriness that 
And I know that that is not going to sustain me. It's not going to bring my blood. Like it's, it might cause a temporary, you know, uh, elevation of, of mood and blood sugar or whatever, but that's, that's going to dip really soon after. So I can, I can be quite high maintenance to be honest. I think that's partly why I don't always eat is because it can feel difficult to get something healthy. Well, you've read so much about diet and food and it literally (laughs) is too much because you've read so much that it makes it almost impossible. Well, if I eat that, then that has this problem. But if I eat this, then that has that problem. And it, it, I mean, it's another point of discernment because it's like sometimes, I mean, information can be this great blessing to us all to live in an information age. But of course, there's a point where it creates, you know, information overload, opinion overload. And, and then you don't know what to do. You know, you can't do, you can't eat anything without it being a problem, according to somebody. And so, and so I do think Except for greens, greens are always okay. Yeah, fair enough. Nevertheless, this, <laughs> th- doing this podcast today is worth it just to have you say so <laughs> clearly that phrase, whatever you just said, yes, hangriness is a challenge. Yes. It's like that, that confession never mind being you know that everybody's listening to this right now it, that to me <laughs> is exceedingly satisfying uh and and but the problem of course is not being angry the hangriness is not actually the problem it's anything that approximates denial of it or you know well yes that's just weak i can't face that like th- this idea it's a Zen type of idea that if someone's lost, but they know and admit they're lost, they're not lost anymore because they know what to do applies here. If somebody yeah. is hangry and they admit that they're hangry, then you know what to do. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a solvable problem. Uh, but, but I think that, I think that this idea of discerning, discerning basically how things really are how they can really be, and what we can really do about it to get there. Those three simple-sounding ideas, to me, are at the very heart of discernment. And the word that you used in all of those that jumped out to me just now is the word real. Yes. Um, because yes. because I, you know, I, I can have a tendency to, to set too high of a standard and... Um, and to feel like a failure if I don't reach that standard. And so food can fall into that. And I've, I've been on quite a journey with this because I really wanted my, you know, to help my family be healthy. Something that I read in a book and really resonated with me was they, they said, you know, if you're eating pork rinds, it's worse to be stressed about eating the pork rinds than actually eating the pork rinds. <laughs> and I was like, ah, Dang it. I am so in that second category. <laughs> I am so stressed about not getting it right, you know? And and I'm like, okay, that, Anna, that's not healthy. You need to chill about this. And uh, it's a journey, it, you know? Yeah. I don't want to pretend that I'm like all Zen about it now. I, it's a journey. And, but I'm, that is my, that is my aspiration is to just chill about it, you know, and, and do what I can and be real about it. If we sort of shift a little bit from this idea of how discernment applies to specifically health, 
where you've got to try and discern the the true, the real from the uh, from the fake. Uh, that's also true in every area of our lives. To discern the true, real answer from the fake, even sensible answer. So when we're trying to discern, it's also to discern your internal voice, that intuition over even sensible sounding ideas and thoughts from around you. I'm thinking particularly here of uh, someone that we know who was absolutely exhausted one day, like really tired out, understandably so. And she gets this little voice, this little prompting that said, go see a movie. <laughs> and and first of all, I love that because especially with everything that I've written and taught about being an essentialist, that sounds like a non-essential idea. Well, so go see a movie. What, instead of spending time with the people who matter most to you or investing in an important project for tomorrow or for the future? Like it sounds non-essential. Well, it feels like a definite trade-off between productivity and non-productivity. Right. And on the surface. Yes, on the surface. And 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 this, but and yet what I have learned is that when people follow those little moments, that is the way of the essentialist. I might even interject that if it is an odd idea, double click on that because the fact that it is so odd, that it is out of the ordinary, should catch your attention. I, and I love that. At, at least pay attention to it. Pause on it. Yes. Well, in this case, she gets that thought, but because, oh, come on, there's so much to do and that, that can't be the most important thing, she didn't do it. So she didn't go to the movie. And almost directly as a result of that, when she was telling us this story, she said, because of that, you know, that day, that night, I just like I, I completely just. Well, she got some news that night, some really upsetting news that just after a completely taxing day. Pushed her over the edge. Pushed her over the edge. Yeah. And she was sharing this. And I love that she did because it's such a real moment. And it, it's such permission for the rest of us to trust those, you know, inklings of discernment, to trust that. Absolutely. But I have to say, the whole path of discernment is one of a lot of failure. I mean, I love that she shared that story because she really learned something from it. If we're not failing, we're not learning. And discernment gives us a lot of opportunity to fail. But that is how we learn. It's like, oh, that's what that was. I should have listened to that. And that that's so valuable because next time that prompting comes, she knows what that is. Uh, it makes me think of like a discernment diary, you know, where you can actually go, okay, this is this is what I thought today. This was the discernment that came. Uh, I have actually kept one of those. Tell us about that. It makes a big difference in uh, in trying to get in tune with with discernment. And as you record it and you evaluate it later, some things might be just kind of 
surface level ideas or thoughts that didn't seem to amount to something. Um, although I might make the case you just never really know if that thing that you did, if that uncomfortable hello you said to a stranger might have had more impact and you'll just never see it. And now let's just take a moment for an ad break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, back to our conversation. So the question is, how can this apply beyond the circumstances we've applied them to? How can we apply discernment to being a parent, for example? A really simple question that has surfaced in over the years with my kids is particularly when I'm finding them difficult or they're really stressed or they're really emotional you know those kind of kinds of critical moments of or heightened moments of heightened emotion and it's asking myself the question what do they need well that's the same idea as we were saying before the real from the fake the the fake can all be the surface all the junk behavior it can be you know any number of behavior that a child can demonstrate and if we react to that to the to the branches of the problem the leaves instead of just going okay but what what really do they need what's under the surface what's not obvious here and you know get to the root of it you know that's a really important i think that's an, a universally true principle of discernment is don't be conned by the surface recognize that often what you see on the surface is not what's going on underneath. And so you've got to pause, you know, listen to someone, listen deeply to the situation, pay more attention. I mean, I, I've, I've started doing something that, that really is harder than you think, but easier than some alternative approaches. I've tried to do the one-time restate. So of course, we've talked about this before, uh, empathic restating, vital way to get to discernment in an interpersonal communication. It can be very tough under some circumstances if the thing that somebody else is saying in the midst of an argument or heightened emotion is palpably <laughs> false or is completely different to the way you see it. Or, you, you, you know, there are yeah, circumstances yeah. this is hard. And and just to even in those moments to say, okay, I will do a one-time restate before I jump in. That just can already change the interaction. Yeah. What's been your experience with that? Well, my experience with it is that in order to do it once well, you already have to do the most important part of listening 
you know, and, and deep listening really is just interpersonal discernment. And that that one thing is shelving your agenda. You have to put yourself aside for one moment, your own thoughts and ideas and 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 opinions. You you have to do that even to be able to restate once well. And then when mm. when you do that, at least you haven't made things worse. <laughs> you know, you might not have solved everything that's going on, but you haven't escalated it. And mm-hmm. and so then you start to have a little bit of insight into the other person. You can sense their humanity beyond the surface. And that's really, in, in a lot of ways, why empathic restating is so important because what you get more of is the humaneness in someone behind whatever they're saying. Yeah, you know, what they're saying might not even be what they believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if you react to that surface, they'll feel less safe. Uh, you know, you'll feel more aggravated in the interaction. So even a one-time restate, I think, can help. You know, improve the chances of dialogue. Have you been? Doing this with me lately? <laughs> oh, that's funny. I did it today right before this podcast. Did you did you did you even notice? We, Was it in the kitchen? Yeah, we were in the kitchen. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I've actually been thinking that you've you've done this a few times, just even in the past week, maybe. Although in the kitchen is what comes to my mind. Yeah. I remember like scenarios and emotions more than words. But it is interesting because I think at least one of the times I was like, oh, he's trying to restate right now, <laughs> you know? But. What's wrong with it, that? No, go on. I don't want to get, did, you, get it, you off track. Go it ahead. did. It did de-escalate it. You know what I mean? It it didn't make it worse. And I, you know, and I, I'm sure in my extremely rational place that I was not, um, that I, you know, didn't think you were really getting the restate right, probably, but I could see the effort and that you were like m- making an effort to try and understand me. And what it does is, is it, it makes me have to decide maybe where I'm at in this in this emotion. Do I want to play ball as far as like really under like communicating or am I just venting? Yeah, I'm just letting off steam. But yeah, that that one time restate, I'm like I th- I think I've seen you using this recently <laughs> and uh <laughs> and I'm curious about what, what your it, view of it is though. So carry on. Well, I feel like it's it's a good thing. It's a good st- a good effort and a good step. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that the communication is all of a sudden like centered, you know. But it is definitely a step in that direction, and it's up to me to engage. <laughs> yeah, I, hearing it from your side of view, side of things, it doesn't feel like it's especially satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's probably- well, you know, you have to consider where I'm at when when you're. You know, if you're making that bid, am I am I rational? Am I really emotional? Am I super frustrated and I just want to, you know, to not be alone and to feel heard and seen, you know, which restating does is is a step toward that, you know, or or am I just uh hangry? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um it's a it is a a drop in 
the relationship. It, 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 it's, it's still a moment of connection amidst what can feel like a very disconnected life. Uh, I mean, I think our, I think our modern life is exceptionally isolating. Uh, I, I think about this a lot that, that, uh, I mean, just take, take the pandemic, take what lockdown did. I think that one of the advantages to lockdown has been a sort of awakening to the absolute necessity of human interaction. Hmm. That it's mm-hmm. not just a nice to have. And I, and I mean that for, for not just for extroverts, who of course immediately feel that loss because so much of the energy for them comes from the interpersonal connection. But even for, uh, for introverts, when you don't have any in-person connection, you, th- there are costs to that. And I think that the, that the costs are multiple in nature and are just barely being understood now. I mean, just think about what we're talking about, discernment, and how you discern how, in a business setting, how people and your team are doing. What's really going on with them? I mean, even before when you're physically in person with them, people are doing a pretty good job at putting out one image to the world when another thing is true underneath. I mean, people are pretty skilled at that and probably they need to be because there's so many layers of truth and you don't want to necessarily have every single person know what your deepest fear is in this moment. I mean, I, I, I can see why layers are helpful. But when you're in person, you can start to read body language and you can feel the, the, the sense of them and the, you can end up having a spontaneous conversation. A lot of that has been removed. And mm. so, I, in fact, I've been thinking about a very specific skill we can use. It's a, it's a one word change to the number one question humans ask. <laughs> All right. The number one question that humans ask is, well, how are you? How are you? There you go. How are you? And the, and all I'm inviting people to do about this is ask that question, how are you? And then follow it up with the question, right? How are you really? What I find in general is that people will answer the second question. They never do almost ever in the first time. You say, how are you? Uh, most people, in my experience, give a completely surface answer. Yeah, because it's a surface question. I mean, no, you know, you're not asking. <laughs> it's a surface question. <laughs> For 20 years, Anna, I can't get myself to answer that in a surface way. I don't know. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I am. You're like, my life's an open book. Let me tell you. People me ask you me how, how I, am. I am. And I start <laughs> telling them. <laughs> and it's almost every time I realize, oh yeah, they they weren't asking, you know. <laughs> and now they've got much more than they bargained for. I've become that guy. They're like, oh, don't ask this guy how he is. I mean, he's <laughs> he's going to tell you. And I don't know what. I just I just feel like I somehow need to tell people how how I really am. And so that's why I ask the second question now is because they don't know that I meant that the first time. You know, how are you really? You don't have to spend an hour on it. But if you ask people how they are really, oh yeah, they definitely, in my experience, they definitely give you a different answer to the first question. But if you'll do it, what you'll find is that uh, that what they show on the surface 
is different than what's really going on. And that's that's what discernment's all about. It's seeing the difference between surface stuff that looks one way, you know, and, and what it really is. Sometimes discernment is that something on the surface seems really important, but when you discern, you know, discern the situation, you find it doesn't really matter. And sometimes the other way around, something seems unimportant, but as you double click on it, you find it's actually really important because of what it's connected to. And, and discernment's all about that. Going through life, recognizing that things are not always as they seem. In fact, they're often exactly not how they seem. And so you can't go through life responding to it as it appears on the surface, because what will happen is you'll be wrong. (laughs) So every interpersonal conversation. I'm thinking here about leaders who rush in, who think they know what's going on, but they haven't taken the time to listen or understand or discern what is, you know, what's real and that they're acting upon their surface assumptions and that they're going to make the wrong decisions. They're going to take the wrong action. I mean, the, the term I would use for it is they're out of touch. And so as a leader, your responsibility is to constantly be asking and listening and going beyond the surface so that you have some approximation of what is really real for them, what's really going on in your business, what's really going on, your, on in your team. You know, and, and then your action is going to be much more appropriate. It's going to be much more relevant. Of course, this idea of asking people how are they really doesn't mean we have to take on ourselves every action that we might want to do when we hear other people talk about how they're doing and their story. Uh, There's a risk here that as we understand more, we feel the burden to do more. But I have found that there's great value in just helping people to feel seen, help people to feel heard. And it's really important to keep this, this correct balance this kind of dynamic equilibrium between discerning what matters to other people, but also then coming back and discerning within us, what is my responsibility? What should I be taking on? And what can I just be aware of, care about, but not take responsibility for? Yeah, it reminds me of a quote by Anne Morrow Lindbergh from her book, Gift from the Sea. Oh, I, I love this. And, uh, and she says, my life cannot implement an action that demands of all the people to whom my heart responds. Mm. And that so really uh, resonates with me. I think, I think my love language is acts of service. I really actually need to look into this. I feel like everyone I know knows their love languages, and I, I haven't uh, actually figured that out. But, um, but I think it's acts of service. And so, you know, the things that you were just saying, Greg, about, you know, you don't need to um, solve everything maybe or, or or take on the responsibility when when you are trying to reach out and connect with people and they and they have and they share the things that they're struggling with. I know that my impulse is to to try and serve in some way, you know, what can I do to to help or to lift the burden a bit or um, definitely within the walls of my home, I, I 
have a tendency to overserve. I, you know, where it's like, no, this this child will benefit from figuring this out and and leaving them to it for a bit. You know, and and I am sure that applies uh, not just with our children. You know, with all relationships, um, f- being able to discern what we can do and and when it's good just to listen when listening really is its own its own service Anna McEwen what a pleasure to have you on again on the what's essential podcast thank you for being with us it has been an absolute pleasure so here we are we've come to that moment again the end of the show thank you as i said at the beginning thank you for spending this time with me and, of course, with Anna. Uh, Discernment goes to the very essence of what it means to be an essentialist. To be able to discern the vital few from the trivial many. To be able to, as we've just been discussing, to trust that intuition, that voice, that internal sense of what really matters, to believe it instead of talking your way out of it. Discernment isn't just being careful in what you write down on your to-do list. It definitely includes that, but it's also the spontaneous moments in between any formal planning or prioritization. And as a result of the fact that almost everything we do decide is spontaneous and isn't the result of a very formalized process. This ongoing discernment could hardly matter more. If you have ever found any value whatsoever in the What's Essential podcast, please take one minute to go and write a review of the podcast. The first 10 people to do that and to send an email with a screenshot of having done that, will receive a signed copy of Effortless. So go to Apple Podcasts, write the review, take a screenshot, send it to info at gregmcewen.com. That is I-N-F-O at G-R-E-G-M-C-K-E-O-W-N.com. And if you're one of the first 10 people to do that, you will receive a copy in the mail I think it might arrive before Christmas if you send it right now. Remember in everything that's going on, take the time to discern. Because, as Maxwell put it, it's difficult to overstate the unimportance of practically everything.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.